Luckily for you, the answer to the great question of life, the universe and everything is to be found in this podcast, A Worker's Guide to Everything. Sometimes cans, often bad language, always solid politics. This is the Trademark Belfast podcast. Listen out for trademark regulars and very special comrade guests and fellow travellers talking all things lefty, Ireland and the world. We remain, as always, anti-sectarian, anti-racist and anti-fascist. Enjoy. Buenas We're really glad that Connor's agreed to join us and, and to, to do this seminar for us. Connor's going to speak for around half an hour or so. So I'll just hand it over to Connor now. Cheers, Connor. Um, cheers, Sean. Um, and thanks uh, to Steve as well and to Trademark for this opportunity to kind of talk um, on this subject. Um, I'll, yeah, as like Sean said, um, I'll try and keep it uh, to 30 minutes. So it, it'd be fairly breezy. I, I'll, I'll try and kind of get through things kind of quickly. Okay, so I'll start with the slides here. Okay, so um, the title of the talk is What's Green in Ireland? Like there are other people who are, you know, who've done a lot more kind of research um, on kind of, on this topic, like really kind of focusing on like, what can I bring to the table? Um, you know, so there are people like, you know, like Sinead kind of Mercia, uh, you know, uh, Patrick kind of Beslin, the girl, the girl, the girl, kind of Kelleher, you know, and there's others, you know, who are doing kind of much more kind of work on this. I think what I bring to the table, um, in terms of looking at kind of the climate action on the island of Ireland, is really that idea of how 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 can capitalism works in in the south, and you know, um, you know, and then uh, the influence that has on the north, as well, um. What I look at is a thing called this kind of compador middleman system. So it's my kind of thesis, and I've, I, you know, as like Sean said, I've, I've kind of teased it out in, in, in like two and a half books, where two kind of deal with the south, and and then, and then it's one on the north that deals with this kind of middleman kind of compador system, um, which is different to how kind of capitalism plays out in Britain or in uh, France or in the or in Germany or in in the kind of US. It gives rise to different kind of class kind of dynamics, and it gives rise to a different kind of cosmology, a different way of thinking for that Irish kind of capitalist class um, than you'd get in the good estates. So what I mean by that really, just to, just to, just uh, to kind of sum up, is that there's a middleman kind of compadre kind of system in Ireland that acts as kind of intermediaries uh, there between foreign capital and the resources of the state and those resources are are not just kind of physical but they're also kind of legal as well so what they trade is Ireland's ability um or, or the sales kind of ability to write its own kind of tax code and have that then recognized internationally um, to have weak enforcement of labor law and environmental law and i'll come back to that thing around enforcement but later on where the law may be strong, but the enforcement isn't. And that's part of the strategy. And then where these kind of middleman class, they guarantee legal protections from citizens and groups, not for citizens and groups. So when kind of foreign capital yeah, like shows up, they tell them that we will protect you from the needs of the citizens and the states that if they challenge you if they bring you to like court we will can defend you uh we saw that will uh, like we kind of shell the sea 
Uh, we saw that with Apple and the kind of tax case and other kind of, you know, that other kind of uh, other examples as well, where they will, where this class will protect foreign capital from the citizens rather than uh, the other way around. So when we, this is normally seen then as the South, as a tax haven, but a tax haven is more than just about, it's more than just about kind of tax avoidance. It's also about uh, the rules as well and, and like oversight. And what kind of tax havens kind of uh, trade is both of these things, is kind of tax avoidance and the rules and the lack of enforcement. So this is seen as that kind of tax havens, therefore, are seen as kind of legislative uh, spaces where they create kind of legislation to each transactions uh, by people who are not resident in their kind of domain. So we'll highlight this because um, when we talk about the South and its kind of economic model, it's usually in terms of investment and, and, and kind of tax avoidance. But it's been gone for about 60, 70 years now, this kind of idea, this kind of uh, view of things. Um, that has seeped into the bones of the institutions of the state itself. And how they approach business is hugely influenced, has been influenced by this kind of, uh, by this kind of business model here as well. And I would argue uh, that it's one that has a, a very kind of negative influence on attempts to kind of swerve the South into a more kind of climate action uh, realm. So what we see here in terms of the IDA, this is from their kind of brochure for the biopharmacal kind of industry. And they say, you know, why set up in the South? And, and they go, well, you know, well, there's all these reasons, but it's also tax. It, there's the ease of doing business, which means that we won't argue with what you say uh, or want. And then there is, there, is, there is the guarantee a stable kind of regulatory um, environment. There'll be no kind of surprises. Uh, we won't look, we won't really ask about kind of what you're doing. And if any of our citizens do, we'll look after them. We will, we will fight them on, on your behalf. Outside of the factory part of it, there's the financial part. And this is from a brochure by Arthur Cox, which is a law firm. Where they explain kind of our, you know, or, or, sorry, the South's um, tax saving kind of model, where finance kind of comes in, it's washed of its tax, and it goes kind of back out again. What they're chasing here is a thing called churn. These are the businesses that tend to benefit from this kind of model. So it's legal services, it's accountancy, stockbroking, the stake in institutions, property, banks, land, and the IFSC. When we look at the jobs that have that have been kind of created through this kind of model the one in red there is industry and we can see that it's been fairly constant around a hundred thousand uh, for decades now what that means is that like at the moment there's around 92,000 industry jobs in the south in that are foreign owned that are in companies that are foreign owned um, it's been at that figure more or less for about 20 15 kind of 20 years the companies have changed but the amount of jobs has been roughly kind of stable so what that means is that the IDA is constantly chasing new companies to replace ones that are that are leaving and one of the reasons is down to this gig here where they if if your system is based on services to foreign capital the churn is the amount of like foreign capital that has flown through your state. That's how you make 
your money's then from that. So that's so for them that is kind of highly kind of important. It's it's not so much the jobs, but the fact that there's a great kind of turnover there of them. Um, this bleeds over outside of finance and and industry. It it this has a spatial kind of quality and has since kind of 2013 there with the vulture funds in in the main kind of Dublin kind of greater area. Where at the moment, uh, down to work by kind of Irrigate, there's around 22,000 homes that are now owned uh, by kind of vulture funds that are being kind of rented out. So again, this is an example uh, for me where that kind of mentality of FDI, of kind of foreign investment, bleeds into kind of social kind of aspects as well. Um, so how does this play out in terms of kind of climate action? Well, one of the things that is certainly seems to be going on is um, it mightn't be the most kind of accurate phrase, but I do think that we're seeing a form of, of carbon dumping that is going on in the South at the moment. If you keep in mind that idea of the churn, just keep, keep the investment kind of coming in. There's been a great move to, to really push for data centers in the South, which employ kind of very few people, but use up vast amounts of, of energy and kind of resources. There was one I just announced there for kind of Microsoft in, in like South Dublin, I, I just kind of this week, actually. The, the problem that these kind of data centers have for the South is that as kind of, as kind of AirGrid have like pointed out, back in 2030, it's, it's estimated that if it stays at this ratio, a third of Ireland's kind of energy will be going into these kind of data centers. And um, it seems to fly in the face of any kind of climate action plan that could be possibly kind of drawn up you know but uh, like for me it's based on that kind of that idea keep keep an fdi kind of coming if we there's a great need for these kind of data centers to go somewhere because they're under pressure in other kind of jurisdictions um, and ireland is kind of open arms they've done this before um one of the reasons possibly the main reason why there are so many kind of pharmacochemical kind of plants in the south is that in the in the 1960s, they did environmental dumping. So um, the South had virtually no environmental laws and, and lots of water. So companies from Canada and from Germany and from the like, US started start kind of using Ireland as a form of environmental kind of dumping. They were able to do here, which, which they weren't really allowed to do by their own kind of populace. Uh, back at home. I think we can see some of the same kind of parallels going on here now, except it's with kind of data centers. So there's this kind of, still this kind of idea of keep this flow kind of coming through. Um, and this permeates through the entire state. This is a, this is a way of like doing business. The, like I used to talk of a compador class, a middleman class. Um, my thinking on this has kind of modified there recently, I, I now see it more as a competent middleman system. So there's a system of doing business that's deeply embedded in the southern state, in the central bank, in, in the IDA, um, in the kind of department of finance that really does see that this is the way to kind of do things. And it brings this thinking to climate action as well. As an example, um, I'll go to a court case that was brought by the Friends of the Irish Irish environment last year, which they won to the Supreme Court, where they got a ruling that the national kind of mitigation plan that was based on the 2014 Climate Action um, Act 
uh, fell kind of well short of what was kind of laid out by a by kind of legislation. Now, Orla kind of Kelleher has done some excellent work in terms of, of kind of analysing this. There was two things that came out of that kind of court case. One was that um, the Supreme Court ruled that there is no written or unwritten constitutional right to an environment that's consistent with a with human their dignity in the text or structure of the kind of constitution. It's a bit of a bizarre ruling, but you have made it. Um, it's, it seems to say that um, the Southern Irish uh, constitution protects human life, but if the environment damages kind of human life, that's not our concern, which doesn't make any sense. So the environment can kill you, but you're protected by the constitution. I mean, this is kind of ideology that's been kind of played out here and all are in our own kind of academic way, you know, can call us that out. A second thing is that they, they said that um, if an individual, this is seen as, as being positive, they recognize that it is possible for an individual or a group to bring um, a, a court case that is linked to environmental damage and what damage that may have on your bodily integrity, which sounds a bit kind of Dr. Strangelove really, but I mean, that's the phrase that which they used. Now, what they said was that, um, that this could be done to the courts. Um, a point was raised about access to the courts and how much it costs. And the Supreme Court said that cost is no barrier to justice, which is just daft. Of course it is. It's patently, it, it is patently obvious that cost is a huge barrier to bringing kind of uh, court cases on something like the environment. Um, so what Orla kind of, you know, kind of argues for, and, and she's right, is that definitely kind of down south, there's a need for constitutional protections for the environment. And there's a need to end any kind of cost barrier, but to the costs. So like going forward, these are kind of two things that are, that are kind of needed. However, the state, now this seems like, you know, it's a victory, um, but the state is never static. So, well, just before I move on, um, what the Supreme Court ruled on was that it ruled on whether the legislation was translated into policy in a clear and, and enforceable way. They do not rule on the legislation itself. They do not rule on whether that legislation will address climate change or not. It's only does the policy that comes out of the legislation, do they speak to each other? Are they in like tandem? So the state learned from this ruling and we see it in the amendment bill that's, that's before the uh, doll at the moment. This, the, this is a Deacon 2021 one. Um, in that bill, they amend Deacon 2015 Act by saying that for the avoidance of doubt, no remedy or relief by way of damages or compensation is available with respect to or arising out of any failure of whatever kind to comply with any provision of this act or under any or any obligation or duty created thereunder. So you can bring us to the court, lads. You can win in court, but that's all you'll have is a piece of paper saying that you won. They actually put into it that there is no comeback in terms of sanctions of a, of a financial kind or, or kind of damages. They also put into it that for the purposes of performing their respective uh, functions under this uh, section, this is the section as to plan for kind of climate change, 
uh, the minister and the government shall have regard to the following matters. Insofar as is practical, um, the need to maximize employment, comma, the attractiveness of the state for investment and the long-term competitiveness um, of, the, um, of the economy. How I would read that is that what they've, what they've put into is that um, in terms of any kind of climate action plan that's going forward, it can't interfere with the FDI flows model, um, where it may kind of interfere with it, but there's a, there's a balance to be struck here. So it puts into the act that the FDI kind of tax saving kind of model, which is what the attractiveness of the state for investment means, um, that is actually, that is a barrier to any kind of climate action. Um, that, well, not, it's, it's not a barrier, but any kind of climate action plan has to be aware of Ireland as a tax haven, just, in the, you know, just to be kind of short about it. There's an advisory council that is, that is kind of set up and they're, and they're to guide the minister. They also have to keep in mind that Ireland is a tax haven for their plan. This goes back to the Supreme Court ruling. Um, as long as the policy is in tandem with the legislation, there's no, there's no kind of contradiction here. So if the legislation they're making sure will not interfere as far as possible with the tax haven FDI flow kind of um, like model. They also say that uh, that also has to have plan that, that any kind of climate action plan has to speak to the national planning kind of framework and where appropriate, the national spatial kind of strategy. The thing that jumps out here is that that should actually be the other way around, that the national plan kind of framework should be changed in light of the need for kind of climate action. Um, and the spatial strategy itself should be changed in light of the need for, um, you know, to achieve kind of zero carbon and net kind of zero carbon by kind of 2050 and to reach all the all this kind of five year kind of targets. It, it also kind of puts into it that uh, the plans have to take on board the special economic and social role of, kind of, of, of kind of agriculture, including the distinct characteristics of biogenic kind of methane. Now for me, that's, this, is, this is kind of ambiguous. And I think that's there for a reason. This gives them room to say if they don't move kind of fast enough on the herd or in terms of, of, of the kind of dairy um, farming kind of element, they've got their out here. You know, I mean, it's worded in that they have to take on board the distinct kind of characteristics and the special economic and kind of social role of kind of agriculture. It could be read as this is there to protect a rural Ireland I'd say it's more down to the, it, it can also be read as this is, it is, this is to protect certain kind of vested interests in rural Ireland um, who, are, who are leading to um, higher kind of outputs. And then finally, they, they throw in their, their kind of tuppence in terms of a just kind of uh, transition and that they need to support persons and the communities that may become negatively affected by that kind of transition. This is, this is very weak stuff. This is kind of payment, paying people off kind of view of things. I'll go into that kind of later on as well. Now, the overall plan, this is the last one on the kind of Southern Ireland one, was that um, what has not been changed from the kind of 2015 Act is that just regardless of the Climate Action Plan, it, 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 the minister, that's the minister who's in charge of it, and the government shall take into account these things. And what they need to do is that we, uh, they need to in, 
they need to achieve a national bug mitigation plan at the least cost to the national economy um, and uh, um, adopt uh, measures that are cost effective and do not impose an unreasonable burden on the exchequer. Normally, this would be for the Eroctus to decide, is this, do we want to have this cost or not? Do we want to raise taxes? Do we want to lower taxes? Do we want to, to invest, which is costly in the short term, but has kind of benefits um, in the long term? They've cut this out. They've actually put it into a decon legislation that needs to be so-called cost kind of effective and the uh, least cost. So the Irish state wants to save the world, but it wants to save it on the cheap. And um, and that's and that's kind of what it's kind of doing here as well. It's 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 writing into the law itself. Um, it's on you know future future kind of limit, future kind of limitations in terms of ambition in like changing things and or taking on board kind of vested kind of economic kind of interests. In contrast, we have the climate change bill uh, by the um, by kind of Claire Bailey. Um, that's coming before um, the assembly. I think it's it's due uh, soon. I think in the next week or two. I'm not too sure of of the actual date, but it's it's set for a second reading there anyway. Now you know we can talk about this uh, this kind of climate change kind of bill and what it does out. It's trying to balance kind of various, you know kind of various kind of interests and and needs, and it's also trying to. To write something that will get through the assembly, even with all of that, um, section eight has a thing around kind of jobs as well, and it says that 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 we're kind of limiting the a generality of the overriding climate objective. Sectorial plans shall also support jobs and growth of jobs, which is the South has as well. But but the caveat here is that. Those jobs are climate resilient and environmentally and socially sustainable, which is what you would expect from a jobs plan for a climate action plan. That it would support net zero carbon investment and kind of infrastructure that would create work that is high value, fair and sustainable. There's no kind of caveat in DSL for that. Reduce inequality as far as possible, you know, and then the big one. Um, to reduce with a view to eliminating poverty and social kind of deprivation. So we can see like the huge difference in terms of like ideology in how the Northern Green Party and Can Claire Bailey um, are approaching kind of this issue and how in the South those kind of vested interests have burrowed their way into the law itself, into the drafting of the law kind of itself. Um, not everyone in the North is happy, of course. Uh, Sammy Wilson thinks that this would lead to him eating uh, seaweed, algae, maggots, and insect and larvae. Um, fair play. But what kind of uh, what kind of Sammy's doing? Because like Sammy's no fool. He's also speaking to some of the vested interests in the North in terms of, of kind of agriculture that would you know that would see a kind of climate action uh, bill as being kind of um, a threat to their ingrained. Um, profit-seeking kind of strategies. But it's not the same. This is not the same kind of dynamic as we're seeing in the South. Um, even though in terms of emissions, um, there's a there's a rough, a, a, a quite rough, but nevertheless kind of a, a rough similarity with the South as, 
as with the north, um, ethnic agriculture is a larger presence in the south in terms of emissions. But we have a, a roughly the same kind of a dynamic that is going on. So there's no reason in, in paper as to why Claire a Bailey's bill shouldn't be kind of a reflective of the south as well. But it's not. Um, going back to uh, back to uh, back to my point there, uh, there around kind of in the enforcement of the rules themselves. Um, this is a common thing in the South where the oversight bodies um, are geared towards the investment rather than kind of society and the community. Um, this one I'm still trying to get my head around. The EPA, which is the Environmental Protection kind of Agency, issued a license to a cement factory to burn tires. No, it's for a factory to burn tires to make cement. The only thing I can think of is that if Monty Barnes was to set up a plant that would just go against everything that climate action stands for, burning tires to make cement would pretty much be it. It's so bizarre that they would even countenance this as part of an overall 10-year kind of strategy, that it just it, it really kind of defies kind of logic, if the logic is to protect the environment, which I'm going to argue is not the logic of the, of the EPA. I don't, I'm not one really for personalizing things, but less personalized things. The current head of the EPA is a former manager of a toxic waste incineration uh, at a company. Um, she took over at a role in 2004. This was not, this did cause heads to be torn. The, EPA, the Green Party at the time asked, asked for her to be more or less kind of sacked from it. And about Three months after she joined, the company that she that she was that she was formerly with got an application to set up a a toxic a waste kind of plant. That's still being kind of debated now. That's in that's in that's in Kimberley But these people are brought in because their instinct is to protect the industry side rather than the environmental side. Um, we saw this there with the banks as well. So this is uh, Pat Neary. He was a former, he was the former regulator of the uh, banks um, up to kind of 2008. And in his moment of kind of self self kind of reflection, um, he said that the uh, that the bank regulator had become more of a service a provider for the banks than a detached strong regulator of the banks. And there are times when the EPA seems to kind of fall into this kind of role as well. Finally, you know, um, they did talk about a kind of just a just kind of tra- a just a transition. And it's worth kind of shouting out for uh for kind of Sinead and Mercer. Everyone steals her work. Everyone, everyone, she literally wrote the bill on this and everyone just steals from her. And uh, including the kind of state itself. But in like 2019 they appointed concurrent kind of Mulvey uh, formerly of the kind of Labour Court. Um, as a just transition by commissioner for Deacon Midlands. Um, in his first report um, in April, he says, since my appointment there by the government as the first transition uh, minister or uh, first uh, transition kind of commissioner, I've been on a sharp learning curve because that's what you do when, when you're stuck for time is hire someone who doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Um, like, like, why would you hire someone who has absolutely no background or knowledge of this to do the job? That should kind of set up kind of 
alarm bells. His approach to it, again, goes back to that kind of Catholic social teaching kind of view. Just transition is about mitigating those impacts of climate change. No, it's not. It's about, as we change, having a new and kind of dynamic social kind of relationship with the environment um, in terms of jobs. That's its, that's its key objective. It's not about just paying people off, you know, and, and, and kind of moving on. That this idea that's, you know, it's, uh, this is from Kandila uh, by Watson, you know, who's, a, who's an Aboriginal um, Australian kind of activist. And she, she has kind of great quote that says that if you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. So if you've come here to give me kind of charity, you are wasting your time. But if you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work on together. And that's the vision that should be, as you move into the final part now, that's the vision that really should be kind of at the heart of any kind of just transition climate action plan. This isn't the case of the state kind of coming in and then doing things for an area. This is about how do we have a new social compact that takes on board the environmental kind of, you know, kind of issues and how we need to change fundamentally those whole kind of dynamics. And then for this, you know, kind of Kieran Mulvey kind of shows up and goes, what the fuck? Because it's so, it's so alien to not just him, but to how the, the estate thinks. This idea of we actually treat these kind of communities as equals, that we don't just consult and then write a report kind of afterwards, but there's an ongoing dynamic that is going on in the creation of like something new. This is this is this is alien to how the uh, state in the south thinks. So we need something new. So we need our own kind of cosmology, our own kind of new kind of ideas. And I draw kind of heavily from kind of um, from an eco-feminist kind of Marxist kind of view because I found it very very helpful in understanding those kind of power kind of dynamics that are outside of the economic uh, realm, but are also kind of equally important. That we can see that kind of capitalism is not just an economic system, but it's an institutionalized social order. So when we approach it, we need to approach it from that kind of way as well. Um, that we need it, it to look beyond just the wage, labor, production, exchange, and finance, and look at those kind of necessary kind of supports and enabling kind of conditions as well. So what this means is that if as we as we move towards, you know, a more kind of grounded, a more kind of a progressive climate action plan, it can't just be an economic climate action plan. It needs to be a deeply kind of social one as well. This includes taking on kind of finance because um, where we allocate kind of resources is very much based on where credit goes. So there's still hundreds of billions that's going into kind of into kind of fossil fuels, this would then kind of bring on that one of the things that maybe needs to be done is look at what a kind of eco-feminist kind of, you know, an eco-feminist uh, Marxist kind of money system would look like. Um, now Mary Meller um, has a very good kind of article that really kind of teases kind of this out, where they say that, um, that we need to look at how we use kind of credit. And that credit is not a neutral thing. Money is not a kind of neutral thing. Money and credit it's about how we allocate future kind of energies today. That's what credit is. We build the future with, with today's kind of credit. That this needs to be kind of recaptured um, by kind of communities. And, you know, as you move forward for a more kind of 
a more a progressive, holistic kind of climate action kind of plan. Um, I move towards where we can all sit around under trees and read kind of books, which is the best way to have any kind of future. Just one last point forever. It was just that, you know, just to kind of sum up, the whole point of my talk today was to say that if we want to look at kind of Irish kind of capitalism, we need to look at Irish, at Irish kind of capitalism it's because it is different. It does think differently and it has its own structures. Like we've never had even a left-wing city council in the South ever in a hundred years. Like they're good at this shit. They're really, really good at it. And there's a reason why, because they have that institutional kind of framework as well. I laugh just when I hear just me kind of ranting now, but when I hear kind of, like, kind of leftists giving advice to Greece or to Portugal or to, or to other kind of states, we haven't even got a fucking kind of left-wing kind of county council lads. What the fuck like, you know? I mean, you know, there are, there are issues here in terms of how we kind of organize. And I think part of it means let's look at what we're up against. And also that they're looking at kind of climate action. They are changing the laws. They to kind of always kind of carve that through. So that's what I'm hoping to try and kind of bring bring to the wider table in terms of the climate action debate. Great, thanks, that, Connor. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's a good place to leave it. That comrades was trademark Belfast. Thanks so much for listening in. We'll see you soon, either in the trenches or on the victory parade. Upper workers and slang of foil.